morning. I heard that the community Christmas went great. I wanted to again thank Carrie, um, thank everyone who's involved. I know there's a lot of people volunteering in the kitchen, cleanup, all that kind of stuff. So I just want to say thank you. Before we get going, do you mind praying with me? Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, for all of us who were able to get here. Our cars are running, Lord. Um, our house is not falling apart when it's cold. And we pray for those, Lord, that may not be here because they're sick or, or whatever reason, Lord. We pray that your presence is known, that you are with them, Lord. God, help us as we look at your word today. May we feel the, the weight that you are speaking to us. And may we feel the, the lightness of the, the gospel that we are free. And God, help us to, to see that today. Amen. Let me uh, see if you can relate with us, okay? See if you can relate. So you hear a great message. Maybe not for me, someone else. Your favorite preacher, whoever it is. You hear a great message about God's word, reading God's word. Or you hear someone share, a good friend of yours share, like, hey, I read this this morning when I was, when I was reading my Bible. And so you're like, dang, I, I want that. I, I, you just have this great desire. I need to get into the word better. I need to be more disciplined. And you just feel like this conviction. You know what? I need to get going at this. So you jump in the Old Testament. You're like, okay, I want to, I, I like the Old Testament. I want to learn more. So you get into Genesis, right? Follow with me. You get into Genesis and you are loving it. You read the account of the creation, the account of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and you are loving the history. Uh, you're feeling grown. You feel edified. Then you get to Exodus, and you are loving reading about Moses, the Ten Plagues, the Exodus. You're really enjoying it. Then you hit the Ten Commandments. You're like, this is a good refresher. I love it. Then you get to the rest of the laws. You get to law after law, laws such as what do you do? When your neighbor's donkey falls in a pit you dug, you get to that, and you're like, okay. You start getting the kind of slowing down. And then you get to the tabernacle, a long description about how it's supposed to be made. You're getting kind of a little antsy. And then it kind of opens up, it seems like, and you see the golden calf, the historical account of that. You talk about Moses, his face shining. You're like, oh, this is good. This is good stuff. Then you come back to the tabernacle and how it was made. Very intricately, exactly how it was told to be made. So you get through that and it, you're starting to kind of pull your hair out because you're, you're on fire and it's just getting kind of hard to read through all this. Then you see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You get done with Exodus. So you're excited. You get to Leviticus. Halfway through the first chapter, you quit because then you see in Leviticus it's law after law after law. Now, if you can't relate with that, maybe you may, and I'll, I'll confess, be a little bit more like me, where at times you'll speed read through certain sections in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, specifically with these laws. Either way, if you can't relate with any of that, do you ever relate with, while you read that, or you think back to it, you think about those weird laws about what kind of clothing you can wear, what kind of material being used, or those things that you for sure don't follow today, 
like the food regulations with pork, with fish, the farming regulations, and you're like, am I in sin that I'm not following these? Can you relate with any of this? Reading through it or just thinking back on it, like what, how am I supposed to relate with this? And so today, as we continue in Galatians chapter 3, we will see what is the point of the Old Testament law How do we as believers today relate to the Old Testament law? So turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And while you're doing that, let me give you a little refresher on where we're at. Uh, Just with Galatians, what's going on? So if you remember, Paul the Apostle is writing to uh, churches, multiple churches in uh, the Mediterranean region, kind of where like today Europe and Asia kind of meet. That's where these churches were. And there's false teachers that were teaching, or false, falsely teaching, however you want to say that, to the Galatians, the, the people of, the, of those churches there. They were telling those believers that you had to follow the Mosaic law in order, number one, to be saved, and number two, to continue to be a Christian. They were falsely teaching this. And so we have seen in this letter to the Galatians, Paul defends his gospel of faith alone in Christ alone. He's been defending it. Then he defends his apostleship in order to defend the gospel that he's taught to them in the first place. And then he he just, like the couple of verses beforehand, just kind of laid out that it has always been by faith. People have always been declared righteous by faith, exemplified in Abraham. And he uses Abraham as an example. And then he showed how the Mosaic Covenant the one that God made with the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai that has the law, the Ten Commandments, all that. He made, he, he just kind of laid that out in the, the beginning of chapter 3, how it is temporary and subordinate to the covenant that God made with Abraham. So he just kind of laid this out, which leads to the next logical question that Paul hits on. And that question is, what then is the point of the law? You just told us that it's temporary. You just told us it's subordinate to Abraham uh, to the Abrahamic covenant. You just told all of that. So what is the point? We're not saved by it, Paul says. We're not continue to be saved by it. We're not in our relationship with God. That doesn't define our relationship with God. So then what is the point, Paul? And so we'll see that. And I'm excited because this is a huge point. It has everything to do with your daily life and my daily life. It has to do with our marriage, our kids. How do we parent our kids? What do we do with finances? It has everything to do with that. How do we relate to the Old Testament? Because it's almost two-thirds of what we consider God's word that is God's word. So I'm excited. I hope you're excited. I want to break this up in two sections as we go through this. Number one, we're going to look at the text. And then number two, we're going to look at what does that mean for us today. So like, so what? Does that make sense? Okay, let's do it. So Galatians chapter 3. Follow with me as we read. Verse 9. I'm sorry. Verse 19. So Paul says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith should be would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's where we'll end today. In this passage, we'll see kind of uh, a main idea that's twofold. Number one, the law was meant to point us to Christ. The law was meant to point us to Christ. And number two, now that Jesus has come, we're no longer under the law. So those two we'll see through this passage. Follow with me, because Paul gets kind of detailed and kind of works through this. And reading through it the first time is kind of like, what is going on in this passage? So follow with me. Verse 19 and 20, Paul writes, why then the law? The next logical question, right? Like I said, Paul literally just said that it's always been by faith, never the law. He literally just said that the Mosaic covenant with the law is subordinate subordinate to the Abrahamic covenant. So then why the law? And he says, because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. And this picture is stepping over a boundary. Transgressions. I'm sorry, Sawyer is distracting me. <laughs> Because of transgressions, and that word packs a lot in it, which Paul lays out further in the next couple of verses. But if I can summarize right now, just to get us a, a, a launch in point, is that by that he means that the law was given to show man, to show us our complete and total sinfulness, our utter inability to please God with our works. And our desperate need for God's mercy and grace. That's why the law was added. And he continues. Paul continues what he started earlier in this chapter. That it was temporary. You see here the next word until. And this word is repeated in this passage. It was added until. It was here until. And he keeps on saying that. And we'll see that repeated. He says the law was added until. The offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. What is Paul saying? Verse 16, Paul explains to us that this offspring is Jesus Christ. That the promises to Abraham has culminated in this God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. And he was saying the law was added until he came. So the law was temporary. (coughs) Sorry. And he continues to show the temporariness of the law. He goes on to say, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And now this, honestly, it was kind of confusing, but his point is this, that the law is subordinate to the Abrahamic covenant, and the way it was given even shows this. With Abraham, it was face-to-face, face-to-face. God was literally face-to-face with Abraham, gave the promises. With the law, it was an intermediary, Moses. And then he says that it was given also through through angels. Now, if you're thinking, wow, I, I remember reading in Exodus how the, the law was given 
I'm not really sure where angels came in. If you're thinking that, welcome to the club. Because it's, it, Scripture does not fully explain this. But it comes back up in Acts chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 2, that somehow angels were involved. Not fully explained, but Paul's not making something up. This is actually what happened. But the point is this. That the Mosaic covenant with the law is subordinate to the Abrahamic covenant. And that's even shown in how it was given. That's what Paul is making here. He's making that point. Now follow with me. Chat, uh, verse 20. He says, Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Which that, that first part is pretty obvious, right? An intermediator, you got to be intermediating to at least two different parties, right? And so in that way, Paul is saying in the Mosaic Covenant, there was two parties, and it was dependent on two parties. One, on Israel's obedience, and two, on God's faithfulness to, for blessing or cursing. <clears throat> but then he says God is one. Because in the Abrahamic covenant, there was no intermediary. It was literally God just saying, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to bless you. It was dependent only on God's faithfulness who is sure. And so Paul continues to lay out that the Mosaic covenant with the law, which the false teachers were Telling the Galatians you have to follow this in order to be a Christian and to continue to be a Christian. He's saying that is subordinate to the Abrahamic covenant and the promises, which is culminates in Jesus Christ. Are you following with me? Because this is this is coming together. Follow it. He goes on, verse 21. Another kind of logical question. Okay, if that's the case, Paul, then he says here, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? You're telling us, Paul, that it is temporary. You're telling us that righteousness, being right with God, has never been by the law. So then is the law somehow contrary to faith? Is it somehow contrary to the promises of God? And Paul says, certainly not, which is absolutely not, very emphatic, in no way is it contrary. He says, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And in, in the original language, that first part, the if part, we can't do it in English, but in the original language, it's assumed to be no. The answer is no. It's written, it's just the way it's written, it's assumed to be no. And so he's saying, no, there was never a law that was written that could give life. If there could be, then it could be contrary to the promise of God, which is by faith, but there isn't. So Paul is saying it has never been by the law. The law was never given to be a way to be made right with God. It was never given to be made righteous. It was never given to be declared righteous. He's kind of pounded it here. There, no way. And the reason he's pounding it is because that's what the false teachers were teaching the Galatians. Verse 22 Paul says, but scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So he personifies scripture, imprisoned everything under sin. And this word imprisoned is exactly what we picture. <coughs> Being trapped on all sides... <coughs> Securely locked up with no way of escape. With no way of escape. And Paul says that scripture imprisoned everything under sin. 
everything, everyone has been imprisoned under sin. And then Paul says, so that, giving us the, the reason why God has done this, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we're imprisoned under sin for the purpose of recognizing our helplessness in seeing our need for a Savior who freely gives salvation and righteousness through faith in Christ. So Paul is telling this is why the law is here. It was never given to give life. It was given to point to Jesus Christ. God imprisoned everything under sin so that we could receive salvation in Christ. He hits us over and over. The law was meant to show our depravity, our sinfulness, and to point to Christ. It was never given to give life. I'm repeating that because Paul is nailing this. 23, 24, verse 23, 24, he says, Now before faith came, and he is not saying that faith was absent, because that's he said the exact opposite when he's saying that with Abraham, that there was faith that, faith that Abraham had that was saved by. But he's saying that before faith came, before the personal faith in Jesus Christ came, so before Jesus came, we were held captive <coughs> under the law, imprisoned, that same word, until the coming faith would be revealed. We were held captive until Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, came, the personal faith. He is hitting over and over. The law is temporary. It was given to point to Christ. And then he gives us a picture of verse 24 that kind of helps us wrap our mind around this. Verse 24, he says this. So then, kind of a summary, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, the, this picture, the guardian, who this was, and this was very common. Back in that day, this was very common. So it was a person that a Greek or Roman family would hire it, it, kind of like that, that servant, that slave. Their whole duty was to supervise mainly the young boys on behalf of the parents until they came of age. So a guardian was a, a servant, a slave, who was there, it was their job to supervise the young boys until they came of age. So bringing the, the boys to it from school, making food for the boys, making sure they did their homework, scolding, whipping them when necessary. These are all things that you see the guardian doing. And it was said, it was written, that it was a glorious day when the sons were no longer underneath the guardian. It was a glorious day that they're no longer under the guardian. And I think about parenting in a way, specifically when the kids are at home. Because we, we do supervise our kids in that sense of taking to and from school, making food for them, disciplining when they're necessary. So it's almost the same picture. And one day they'll leave home and they'll take on the world, right? So you got this guardian. And so Paul says, that's exactly like the law. It was here for a time, for a period, but it ends. There's an end point and we're no longer under this guardian, Paul says. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The time has come, he says, in order. And the whole reason we might be justified by faith. It was all to bring us to Christ. 
And then verse 25, 26, he ends with this conclusion. But now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, we are no longer under guardian. We're no longer under this law. The 600 some laws, we're no longer under it. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. We are no longer under law. We are free. And this is the exact opposite of what the false teachers were saying. That, hey, Galatians, you need to do this, this, this. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow all these laws, number one, to be saved. And number two, in order to please God, in order to be right with God or to continue, they're saying that. And Paul comes, no, you are free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are free from the law. Amen? Who likes pork? Yes. Yes. I just had some bacon yesterday. Yes, it's fantastic. We are free from the law, Paul is saying. We are free. I'm repeating that because I'm trying to tell myself, I am free. Because our righteousness, our position in front of God has already been finished in Jesus Christ. The law is of no help because there was a purpose for it. It was to point us to Christ. So how could the Galatians, as Paul says, how have you so quickly left this gospel back to the law. How could you have so quickly done that? That's remember right in the beginning when there was supposed to be an encouragement. Paul says, "How? I'm amazed that you've done this." So we are no longer under the law. And I went through that passage kind of quick, but Paul he repeats himself a lot. The law was meant to point us to Christ. It was only until Christ came that the law was there. Christ has come, and we're no longer under the law. So what? To me and you. Two questions. Number one, if we're no longer under the law, Paul, can we just then go on sinning, do what we want? Right? If you're me, that's what I'm thinking. Like, okay, this this is sounding kind of good. What what do we do here? Then my second thing that I want to bring up, why then read the Old Testament? Right? Right? Why? These are obvious questions, right? So let's hit that, that that first point. If we are no longer under the law, which we're not, because Christ has come, why can I not just indulge in sin? Right? Well, follow with me here. God's word being sufficient, Paul being inspired by God, this he answers this question. He answers it later in Galatians, which we'll come to, but he also answers it in Romans. And that's the part I want to get to. And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, and it might be a similar question. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? The exact question. Are we to sin? We're under grace, not the law. Can we just go crazy, Paul? He says this, by no means, that same, that same phrase, certainly not, absolutely not. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, You are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then earlier in that chapter, Paul writes this, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Grace saved us from sin. Grace freed us from sin. How could grace then drive us back to sin? Or how could it just let us go back? We died to sin in Christ. How can we go back to that? So Paul says, you're a slave to whatever you, kind of, you obey. And as believers, we are freed from sin. 
but sin can still have this enslaving effect on us. It's like the picture of that prison, but the door has been opened. But we choose to sit in it. We choose to, to be enslaved, but we're, we're free. We're free to go, but we, we like to sit in it. We're indulging in the sin. There's this enslaving effect, but we are completely free, but we sit in that open cell. So Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Certainly not, he says, about going on indulging sin, indulging in sin. So sin, even though we are not under the law, that does not mean we have a license to sin because sin enslaves, sin brings death, it destroys relationships. So Paul says, absolutely not. That's sickening. How could we think of that? But he goes on this. He goes, uh, the Mosaic covenant, right, with the law. The law was given to tell Israel, this is how I expect you to live in light of this covenant, right? That's how Paul in, in, in Psalm 119 can go on and on about how much he loves the law. Which we read that and we're like, what are you talking about? The law? But it was a, a relationship with Israel. It was a sign of a relationship it was to tell them, this is how you're supposed to live in this relationship, right? And Luke, at the, la- in the, at the Lord's Supper, when Jesus raises up the glass, the bread, and says, this is my covenant, the, he talks about the new covenant, that this is my new covenant. In Hebrews, it talks about this even more, that we as believers have a new covenant with God. We're not with the Mosaic covenant. We have a new covenant made through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Similar, it followed with this, this is massive difference, but similar how the law explained this is how you're supposed to live in light. In the New Testament, we have commands on this is how you live in light of this covenant. Not, and this is a huge difference, not in order to enter the covenant, nor to stay in the covenant, but to live in light in response to the covenant. So in this new covenant, God gives us commands on how to live. Again, not in order to enter it, nor to stay in it, but just how to live in light of it. Hey, a guideline for life in Christ, here it is. And so there's commands throughout the New Testament in response to not to enter into and not to stay. I'm, I'm emphasizing that because they're completely different from the, the law with the Mosaic Covenant and then the commands in the New Testament with the New Covenant. Are you following with me? Yes, thank you, Dan. Here we go. Now here's the thing, and this is what I want to get to, and this will transition into the second question. Many of the commands in our new covenant reinstates commands from the old covenant. For example, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Those we see in the new covenant. Why? Because these reflect the holiness and the righteous character of God. And so they're they're both covenants. It's in line with God's character. Uh, For example... Nine out of the Ten Commandments are reinstated or renewed in the New Covenant. You're probably wondering, what's the one that's not? (laughs) It's observing the Sabbath with all the regulations. That is not reinstated in the New Covenant. And so when we look at the, the Ten Commandments, do not kill, do not steal, we do not follow them because they are the Ten Commandments. We follow them because they're part of the New Covenant. To you, that might be splitting hairs, but it's a huge difference. The only reason we follow is because it's the new covenant. Because we're no longer in the law. 
We are free from the law, but it's been reinstated in the new covenant. And so the laws that reflect God's holiness, his character, his righteous character, they're reinstated in the new covenant. And they go a lot further. Instead of do not murder, it's love one another. It's encourage one another. It's build one another up. And so it's ratcheted up in that sense. I'm excited. Is this good stuff? God's word is good. Follow with me here. So let's come to this. So Paul has been saying over and over that, hey, Galatians, you are declared righteous, not because you do this and this and this, but because of Jesus Christ and that what he has done. Then he says these commands in the New Testament, it's this declaration of being justified, of being righteous, we are called to then respond, to strive to grow to be what we've already been declared to be. Let me say that again because even that could be confusing to me, um, even though I wrote it. These new commands, these commands in the New Testament is not to be righteous or not to become righteous because we've already been declared righteous, but it's about living or striving to grow to be what we have already been declared to be. So the answer to that first question, can we just go nuts and indulge in sin because we're no longer under the law? Paul says absolutely not because you become a slave to what you obey and because he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can grace that frees us from sin drive us back to enslavement and sin? That makes no sense, Paul says. That second question I want to get to. What is the point then of reading the Old Testament? What is the point? If if the, a lot of the laws don't even apply to us anymore if the ones that do apply to us is reinstated in the New Testament what's the point then of reading the Old Testament because like I said in the beginning it can be hard reading through Leviticus reading through good chunks of numbers mostly Deuteronomy it's hard can I get like amen like it's hard especially if you start in Genesis it's like this is going to be a I'm going to truck through this here we go let me give you six short reasons number one Paul writes Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. At that time, where is he referring to? The Old Testament. The New Testament was being written at that time. All scripture, all of it is profitable. So that first point, why should we read the Old Testament? Because it is eternally profitable for you and me. In parenting, in following Christ even, it is profitable for to be that every person would be equipped for every good work. It is eternally profitable. That alone should drive us to read the Old Testament. And, and so there it is. There, it is useful, Paul says. It is eternally useful. That's number one, why we should continue to read the Old Testament. Number two, because the Old Testament and the law... Give us a bigger picture of who God is. And maybe I should say it helps us to understand who God is even more. Like, for example, from the Old Testament, the law, we learn so much of God's justice, his righteousness, his holiness, and his care and his love. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, God gives this law. He commands the Israelites. It's interesting, but he commands the Israelites to build this protective wall on their roofs. 
you might be like, what is the point? But the thing is, their roofs were normally flat, and they usually did stuff up top. Like, do you remember Bathsheba? She was bathing on her, on her roof. They did stuff up on their roofs. And so we see within that that God cares enough for his people and their guests to even command them, you need to put that wall up there. Because you can fall. Like, people fall off roofs. In fact, I fell off our roof this week. I mean, where's Casey? <laughs> Bruised my ribs pretty good. Well, I didn't even think of that. But yes, I guess I should put a wall up there. So yes, so God cares. So we in that, we see that God cares. In his laws, we see God's love, his care. All of the food regulations, all of the policies for sickness, all the skin diseases, all that, they didn't have the technology to know about germs, bacteria, viruses. They didn't know that. So God put all of these laws in place. And if you, There's people today that follow it just for the sake of the diet because it's, it works. It, God has instated this before they even knew about germs, bacteria, all that good stuff. God had laws to protect them, to keep them healthy. And so we see that God cares. No wonder why David can say that he loved the law because God cared for them. It shows his care, his love. And so that is why we can read the Old Testament because we see who God is, his justice, his righteousness, but also his love and his care for his people, that he would even care about their sickness. And as you know, he gets very detailed. Hey, if your rash is like this color, then does this, then day three, then you should do this. Like It's very specific. Number three, reason why we should read the Old Testament is exactly what Paul's been saying. It shows us our sin. It shows us our sick depravity, our treason against the Holy God, and it extols the love of God, the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. We see our sin. It is so prevalent before us when we read the law. Like, oh my goodness, I don't even come close to this. And it drives us to the cross in, in praise and glory that I am not, I'm nothing, but God thinks I'm something and he raises me up in Christ. Number four. Why should we continue to read the Old Testament even though we're not under the law? The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of principles from the Old Testament that we can derive from it, that we can live by. What I mean by that is that every time we read the Old Testament, every time we preach the Old Testament, like uh, I preached through the life of Jonah, a really quick message, uh, um, through Jacob, Psalm 88. Every time we preach through, read the Old Testament, there's so much we can derive from those as examples and as principles. The one thing we got to make sure is that we screen it through the New Testament. Nothing in the Old Testament is commanded to us unless it's reinstated in the New Testament. And so it has to go through that screen. But there's so much. Deuteronomy is at chapter 6 about parenting. Whether you're a walking in the home, wherever. like you're, you're teaching your kids. What a great example. What kind of fleshed out. We see examples of Abraham, his faith with Isaac. Examples of Joseph in these hard, um, hard circumstances, horrible circumstances that were not even his fault. And he says, what, God, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. The Psalms, there's so much we can learn from. Number five. Why we should read the Old Testament even though we're not under the law. Because we cannot grasp the teaching of the New Testament without the law, without the Old Testament. We... Without the Old Testament, we would know very, or we would, all context, all understanding of the New Testament, the life of Christ's teaching would be very hard to, to understand where it's coming from, what it meant without the Old Testament. 
we would not understand where we fit into God's story and history. <coughs> Lastly, number six, why we should read the Old Testament. Because I know that we all want hope. In the 15th chapter of his letter to the Romans, Paul writes this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, and at that time he's referring to the Old Testament, we might have hope. We might have hope that God did this. He did this, 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 this. God's going to do something here. He's going to use this. So the law was intended, Paul says here, to point us to Jesus Christ, to faith in Christ. It was never meant to give life. It was never meant to be made right with God. It was never meant to do that. It was meant to point us to the one to come, to the need for a Savior, which we can look back and know that's Jesus Christ. And as believers, we're no longer under the the law, not at all. But we don't indulge in sin because we've died to that in Christ. We've been freed from that. And we're called as believers to be holy as God is holy. And we're, we're guided in our life by these commands. And as some of you know, uh, Friday and Saturday, I was in Wisconsin for my, my grandma's funeral. And my... I grew up Roman Catholic. My, 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 pretty much my whole family is Roman Catholic. So the funeral was a typical Roman Catholic mass. And I was one of the pallbearers. And so I was front row seat. And it's nothing I haven't seen before since I grew up Roman Catholic. But as I was sitting there, because I had a front row seat, I'm sitting by all my other cousins who were pallbearers. And you're seeing all these statues, these adorned walls, it is a, a just incredible art, the stained glass windows. You're smelling this incense that they're kind of passing over, over, all over. You're listening to the priest say that because she was baptized, she has a good chance to go to heaven, but we need to pray her in. You're hearing him say this. And it's hard not to sit there and just think how hopeless this is. How hopeless. That, hey, if we do this, this, and this, maybe we'll get in there. But you have to do something on her, on, on her part, which is absolute garbage. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that there is no hope except for in Jesus Christ. We've been in prison under sin. The law was never meant to give life. But there's an escape in Jesus Christ that by his obedience, by his righteousness, we can be righteous. We can be declared righteous. So if you're here today thinking that doing certain things, coming to church, coming to Sunday school, that that's going to make you right with God, Paul says, absolutely not. That was never meant to give life. But God made a way in Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus. And Paul says that to the Galatians. And he says to us, we are free from having to do things to be right with God because in Jesus we are declared right because of Jesus. And in that we are free. We're not bound. We're not in prison under the law anymore. But we are free. And we can live in light of this. This freedom. 
And I love, and I repeat it again, the Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to another yoke of slavery, because we are free. We are free in Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your freedom. And I know uh, if people here are anything like me, that it's so easy to forget it. If not every moment of our lives, there's that competing voice of things. We have to do this, this, this. And then if I can do this, then God will be pleased. If not, God's not pleased. And there's that competing voice nonstop. Lord, may we preach the truth to us, to ourselves, that we are free in Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we let that just dwell in our hearts. And God, as we look at the Old Testament, and although we're no longer under the law, we're not in the Old Covenant, but the New, we can see your love for the people, your love for your people in these laws, that you cared about them, even about their sickness, that you put these, these regulations in place, that they don't fall off roofs. Lord, help us to, to, to be compelled to just dwell in your word and to sit and to rest in your love. Amen.